Welcome once again, friends, to the podcast that has its ends and the beginnings of beautiful things and ideas, and thus brings its panaceas in the form of Urbit, most frequently. This week we speak with Anthony Arroyo, otherwise known as Poldek Tonteg, project manager at Talon, and a man of many talents. And while we don't know why he carries that much Acadian gold and silver, we were able to pry from him answers to such questions as why Italian futurism, why technology, what design ethics, how vote, and why the hell Ethereum? This is The Stack, and you should count yourself lucky that out of all history, you were born late enough to listen to it. Can Alexander or Napoleon claim that? No, those losers. Let's go. We have a, um, a a friend of ours, and we won't say who, but he um, does like his privacy and um, had an, an like kind of an episode or something with his Twitter handle and felt like he needed to go underground there. And he had tied his identity to a certain Pat P. And so he's had to go through the the process of rebirth. He had not been as as active. Yeah. Um, on on Twitter, on on um, on the Urban platform yet. I mean, he's been active in the community and um, owns some assets and stuff. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's just it is something that some people, I guess, have to go with. Um, oh yeah, it happens. But, I mean, I um, what's funny is I, I actually have almost tongue in cheek suggested that like, you know, uh, a, a metric I'd like to see is like, um, I called it ransom. It's like okay, if someone took Poldek hostage, you know the name or whatever, the identity, like how much would I pay to get Poldek back? You know? And I want that number to be as high as possible, basically. Cause you're like, that means that people would like, you know, I, I would pay, I mean, no one, I, I probably shouldn't say how much I would pay. I don't want to put a bounty on my head, but it's sort of like, you know, uh, to me, I, I'm very attached to the Pat B. So it's interesting. Cause I feel like, you know, less so for people that are, you know, new, but you'll get there because you're just like, you join all this shit. People know who you are. You know, it's a very, it's real, man. It's very real. And um, well, I was, my, my phone number growing up, it, it sounded like Yankee Doodle. If you played mm -hmm. it fast enough, you know, and that yeah. was valuable too. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I get it. No, I understand. How long have you been, how long have you been uh, orbiting or how long, I, I guess you've had that Pat P the whole time. Uh, yeah, because I mean, this is a urban arcana here, but it's sort of like, there was a big, there was a big renaming because somebody uh, is this a family show. Can I, can I curse? I don't know how the, what the, you can, can curse. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Because <laughs> um, no, no, so, basically someone I'll, I, I'll try not to, I feel like you should do it only when it's really justified, but I, someone messed up basically. And um, so they had to rename a lot of ships. And so there's a lot of Pat P's actually, there's an era where, that doesn't exist pat pieces don't exist anymore um and i can't remember why it was it, there was something there was something wrong anyway so i i joined pretty soon after that so i basically have been i've had pole deck the entire time never had a different one and it's it's the one i got you know when i we used to have a system called ask i don't know if this is old for you guys but basically if you had a comet and you played around with the comet for a while it would prompt you to basically it, it, it would like just sort of like, I think it would like track how many keystrokes you did or whatever. And if you, if you tried to do enough stuff, you kind of like were, were showing that you're using your ship. It would basically send you little prompts and send us your email and we'll send you a planet. So that's how I got mine uh, way back when I was, uh, I don't know when, man, it was 2015 or 16, I want to say. Um, wow. Okay. That's yeah. you're an old ago. man I mean, in urban terms. I am. I guess. I guess. So. How did you? How did you know to be on there screwing around with the comet? How How did I find the urbits? Well, I um. It's funny. It's not. It's not, not as uh, interesting as most people. I basically just. I hate hacker news. I hate it. And I okay. basically was on hack. But but you know it's like if you're in you do like sponsor. <laughs> Oh, yeah. uh, it, uh, 
it's just like Altman or whatever. Uh, right, you yeah. know what I mean? Like the, the kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just sort of like, but I still, still to this day, I have, I have to, you know, uh, hate, hate scrolling, Schadenfreude, whatever you call it. It's like it's very, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a vice. And so I would just like basically read Hacker News, get pissed, you know, uninstall my browser, you know, close everything. Ah, oh, I can't deal with this computer. But I would do it every day. So anyway. So I uh, I was on Hacker News and like I saw Urbit stuff get posted once or twice and just like the amount of apoplectic sort of like redditor uh, you know rage yeah. that it elicited I was like okay well this has to be good basically so like literally just anti marketing from Hacker News and that's how I got into it and then I just sort of um I was really um. I'm sorry, I'm drinking something. I'm not sure if this is good podcast uh, etiquette, but I'm, I'm no, doing drinking. It depends what it no, is. Normally, what it is. I'd be drinking as well, okay, but okay. Uh, it's it's ten it's ten forty a.m. in China right now, and I feel like that's really pushing it. It's yeah, it's uh, Ch- Chinese rules is you could just drink uh, whenever you want. Is it, yeah, um, actually, that's probably true. But go what's ahead. What's that shit called? Ma- Mount Mao Tai. There's some. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolute. Whole, yeah, there's absolute. Just the, some of the most heinous. Yeah, but it's good. Anyway, sir, it was, sir, it that is that is treason have, yeah. against the Chinese people. No, I mean heinous, like in a good, like heinous. Like there's a certain <laughs> kinds of. No, I mean heinous. Like, there's certain. You know what I mean? Like every culture has this kind of like absurd, almost like hazing liquor. You know? It's yeah. Like grappa or raki, or there's this one called unicom in Hungary, and like the, the whatever that shit's called in China is like you could tell that's like, you know. That's good. That's the anyway, stuff. Yeah, I, I can stuff. say so. I I've been I've been to Maotai, the city. Okay, um, Maotai is, is what it's called. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 in middle of nowhere, Guizhou, which is a pretty poor countryside province. But the um, uh, it you just get what you pay for is all I'll yeah. say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. I, I I salute them. I salute the Chinese people. Um, but what was that? Okay, so anyway, um. So anyway, what the fuck was I talking about? I was, as was, uh, uh, oh yeah, well, how I got into Urbit. So, um, so basically, I did. I found out that way, and I really just like I don't have. Uh, I have no. I have no education. I have no education in basically everything I know. Technically, is just self-taught essentially. So I have no CS background. I don't really, you know. I, I basically just don't. I just do it. Do it a field, you know. And so I. My, my background is much more in the, uh, basically, I, I grew up playing music. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say I'm an art fart, but, you know, I'm into that kind of shit. So I basically, like, really liked the aesthetic of Hoon. I really liked, yeah, I just gravitated towards all the things that Redditors dislike, you know, where it's like, how come a function is not called a function? Uh-huh, you know, uh, I was like, no, this is awesome. This is just uh, it's great. So it's just a little, little world, parallel world. And I also... I basically came to it with very few preconceptions. And so I really gravitated towards that. And the the people that were on the network at the time, a lot of them are still around. It was just like a really cool community, you know, and very unique people. And um, yeah, so I just started hanging out on the network and, you know, I ended up just um, kind of clawing my way through, the, through just looking at the source actually there was the, the docs were probably even more inscrutable then and um yeah and that's how i got into it and then i only later did i kind of like i'm i'm very yeah i'm, I'm definitely pro um i wouldn't say i'm like an, uh, a you know crypto anarchist i would never even claim to know what that means but i'm sort of like i definitely uh, agree with at least the decentralization portion uh, of the philosophy, even at that time. And, um, so yeah, that, I just kind of gravitated that way. And a lot of it was just the people, honestly, just the kinds of people that you find on it. It was just like totally unique at the time. Um, and still, still to this day, meet a lot of what, what is the turnover? I mean, I, I guess a couple of things. One is, um, even a year ago, uh, when we started getting involved, um, it was a pretty cumbersome semaphore, I mean, it might as well have been sending messages by clipper ship. So yeah, how did yeah. you, uh, how do you build community that way? And then you mentioned turnover, um, like 
you say that a lot of the people are still there, but have, you, have there been some major cycles that you've seen? So, okay. So what's interesting is that the, at that time, hmm, okay. So at that time, pre-Ethereum, it was actually much easier to get on in a lot of ways, right? I mean, it, it was basically not, uh, there's other problems because like essentially everyone's ownership was just like in a database at Tlon, but it wasn't really decentralized in that way, but it was a lot easier to get on. And so um, when there was net, network breaches, you have very little attrition and it was like not that many people on. Uh, and those of us that were on spent a lot of time on it. And I think that like, I've seen a lot more churn. I saw, I saw a lot of churn right after we got on Ethereum because of the obvious reasons. Like a lot of people just didn't want to deal with porting it over. And then like the whole way you used it, the whole way you dealt with the PKI ch changed. Uh, so I did see a lot of turnover there and it's gotten a lot better. It was interesting. It's sort of like, we used to breach the network like a lot, like every month, every two months. And it's almost like as that became less frequent, the breaches were more damaging basically because it makes sense. Like people would like join and never see a breach and they'd have a breach and they'd be like, well, okay, the whole network got nuked. So yeah, but I feel like, I mean, I, of course, it's probably like survivor survivorship bias or whatever. But I do feel like you do have, especially then and probably even now, people who are around are like around. Do you know what I mean? It's not like you don't have like this sort of like, it's like almost like binary. People mm -hmm. are like, log on, they go, okay, whatever, fuck this, and they leave. Or they're like, I do this, like, I check this all This the time. is where I live. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's like a really interesting... Which I mean, for me, from my perspective, is now as someone who does this for a living, it's like, I actually like that. I mean, we sort of, that's exactly what we want, right? So we want this to replace the rest of your computing, at least if you're social computing. So it's like, I like to see that. I think it actually works in that way. It's very sticky. How much of Tlon's work is just accomplished on the platform? Stuff that is internal to us, like that just involves Tlon. I'd say 85 to 90%. Um, of course, the rub is always dealing with outsiders, basically. Um, right. Meaning not not urbaners, right? So it's like, there's always some shit you got to do. Especially my, my job is like, I'm always emailing weirdo, weirdo yeah. normies who are not. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, you know, the one thing that we still use is Google Docs. And that, oh, yeah, no. it sucks. It sucks. It does suck. It's the, it's actually the worst. I really, really dislike Google Docs, but the problem, I mean, there's just like, and I, I it's funny. I'm always, we're, we're so close to not using it. And uh, there's just a, some, some permissioning stuff. I don't even care about the simultaneous editing. It's more like, um, yeah, it's, I could go, go into this whole thing, but basically like that's kind of our one usage and we still don't have a spreadsheet program. So like that kind of stuff. But for the most part, a, a good chunk for Tlon is, uh, yeah, is, is on Urbit. Is it a spreadsheet? Like, is anybody hunting that whale? I am not sure I've spoken with the Urbit.org people about getting like a bounty for that. Yeah. I'd like to see, I'd love to see it. I mean, the problem, the quote unquote problem is that like, it's actually would be very easy to do simply, you know, just have it persist essentially a CSV and just, you know, right. Um, and then if you, but if you want it to be like really fucking urbity, which would be really awesome. Like you could have cells that were, you know, arms and stuff like that. Like um, that's more difficult, but yeah, I'd love to see that. I mean, it, it's also one of those things where it's like, you know, how many people at, at Tlon use spreadsheets? It's like five of us, you know, it's like the managers right. basically. And no one gives a fuck about us. So it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not like a, we're a big pain point. I will tell you, um, Anthony, I, I, I think it's true that you studied um, literature uh, to the PhD level, right? I did. Is that right? Yeah, I, I just put in a, I just put something onto the requests and now hopefully I can get you to back me up here. I just, okay. I just put in a, I just put in a, a request. So I'm, I'm, I'm calling you out on a podcast. Oh, no, I just put okay. in a request. Right. <laughs> no, I just put in a request for um, annotations. Uh, which I'm sure will probably go at the bottom of the, uh, you know, order of importance. But I, I've got, I'm doing like an English, English lit thing 
in the stack mm-hmm. podcast group, which is where I'm, you know, I'm taking the, um, the Biographia Literaria, Coleridge's uh, work and yeah. just everything. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, actually, uh, you know, I, I was reading William Gass and he said that when he was in university at Columbia, he, he had a professor who said, uh, here's what you're going to do. It was an English professor. You guys are just going to take the Biographia and split it up and read everything that Coleridge mentions. So the class yeah, the class read every work in the Biographia during a semester, splitting okay. it up, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I'm doing now, and uh, I've got to the point where where what I want is uh, to be able to to do a linear linear annotations. You know, like do you, have you ever been on Genius.com where they they yes. Put- I, I- I was going to say that exact same thing. Yes. Okay, yeah. So that's what I want. I want linear annotations that people can annotate the lines of a of a poem or a uh, some some other you know some prose, and then they they can annotate it. They can put some photos, and then other people can comment and upvote and downvote. And I'm sure that that's like n plus I don't know one or two steps away in the engineering. Uh, field, but I've got a guy. I've got a guy working at Talon who's got a PhD in literature. So you know, who else am I going to talk to? Who I, I got to? Well, this is not as far away as you think. Okay. I mean, I think that we we've talked a lot about this. Me and Fabled Faster, and uh, uh, a few other people, uh, Hadif, have been talking about this because yeah, I mean, basically in the form of just a long form reader, you know. Yeah. That right. Could. Uh, that could, yeah, exactly. Social annotation of like long form text that could kind of be agnostic uh, to like format. So EPUBs and, you know, whatever you wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, we talked about that quite a bit. I think that actually fits pretty well with the suite of stuff that we've been doing in terms of like groups and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, that's not that's not too far afield. We definitely talked about it quite a bit. So I think if you can get... Um, the urban people like Woolref and stuff to like to look at that and get a bounty or a grant going like for sure. I mean, we'd definitely be interested in that. I can't I can't imagine that my my need for like literary annotation is going to move to the top of any stack, though. But I don't know. It could be useful for some. It could be useful for some other stuff. I think it was it Fable Faster. I, I'm not sure wh- whose real names are, but. There was a, a video that that Talon put out a few months ago. No, actually, I think it was around the time of OS one. So that would have been what, like February last year. Yeah, yeah. And they and and um, he, I I don't know if it was Edward who said that they were going that that like his life goal was was to uh, create like the greatest e reader. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, yes. and what was cool about it is, um, I think that, that people, so, so when you, when you get peer to peer programming or sorry, um, peer to, uh, peer to peer, uh, network, you get this kind of cool, I guess, uh, emergent phenomenon of being able to like share a f- potentially share something with somebody else's ship and then have them, uh, I mean, to the, to the normal user, this won't, this won't, maybe you won't be able to, to, to tell much of a difference bet- between going to, to genius.com. But one cool thing about it is that they, that you can share your file, uh, like, you know, your ebook or whatever, and then they can see all of your annotations yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I actually like, um, do like about the Kindle platform is that they have that sort of, um, they have a feature where they can like you be reading something and they'll point out stuff that has been highlighted right. by a lot of people. Like, and I'm like, that's yeah, but actually- the, the problem with that is it's like a portal into the deranged mind. Oh, of, of course, the, of course, oh, of course. Like average reader. Right? Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. Uh, but it's an interesting. I do like that idea that you could be like, okay, here's the uh, the the biographia. Yeah, it would be cool like, if you could say like. Right. It, who, who did or like um, yeah, which I mean, ships like, annotated this? That would be great. Here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah, yeah. Like I want to see what Fabled said. I want right. to see what you know exactly. Right. Mel said, no. and that block, like, I think block, that block block block. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want to see what the rest of these fucking people said. Uh, I think the um, the uh, yeah, and it's funny because I do feel like the one thing that is kind of the holy grail, I think, about a lot of um 
a lot of uh, search, you know, broadly construed is people would really like to have uh, social search. And so just sort of to expand that, it's like, imagine you search something and it's like, I actually want to see this search results uh, sorted by what my friends or people that I trust in this sort of context have clicked on whatever, as opposed to like, what is the most popular? Just absolutely, right? Uh, and so I feel like that's a really, this is kind of like a, a more of a sort of object level example of that, where you go, okay, I'm interested in people's annotations about the biographia, but I really am only interested in this particular group of people. And so I think that's the kind of thing that Urbit really would shine at doing, um, especially because like our, we don't have the same, if some sort of Urbit search existed, um, which has its own problems, like how do you index things and blah, blah. But it's sort of like, we don't have the incentive. It, we don't have the same, I mean, Google doesn't want to do that because of all kinds of incentive reasons. Like they don't actually want to provide you that service, even though they probably- No, because that, that, that makes it less attractive for advertising. Exa exactly. So it's like, we don't have that incentive. So it's like, we can we can do these things just by, you know, we're just trying to make a thing that people, you know, like, because just to be, you know, brass tacks is like, the more people like it, the more address space they buy, you know, it's just sort of a, a simple, we have very simple incentive. Um, and so I, I do think an annotation thing would be definitely fit with that. Um, and I'd love to see it happen. So yes, you're not as far down the list as you think. Okay. I've put it in the right, I've put it in front of uh, people now. Okay. That's my goal. Yeah, consider it in my mind. And now I can, I, the, the podcast is complete. I have completed the system. <laughs> you, can, you can come back to this and be like, Anthony, did you or did you not say, uh-huh? <laughs> uh, right. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, sorry, I've. I, so you, you're you're so, are you so reshuffling your, your index cards with all the, all the questions on it? Well, he had, he had he had like thirty minutes of material on this. And now it's, uh, yeah, he, uh, I, I thought I was going to have to. <laughs> go ahead, go really ahead. Really sell it, yeah. Um, so so in in the literature field, then were you uh, coming from some of those newer fields of you know quasi linguistics type things? So, and is that how you got into computers? Uh, it, okay, so so the way this. Yeah, my actual full bio sounds like I'm a con man, you know, so I, 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 I do, uh, I, it's a circuitous path to let me hear, but I basically studied, um, initially I studied, um, I actually went to school for comparative uh, literature, which at that time meant basically whatever you want it to mean. Um, and so I studied uh, a lot of hermeneutics, which I'm not sure if anyone knows what that means, but it's sort of... Um, interpretation uh, yeah basically basically the the science of understanding you know and that meant i studied a lot of german a lot of people who are important in that field are german so i, I studied it with a lot of germanists and stuff like that um and then i studied a lot of uh philosophy of language and, and linguistics and so yeah i did my kind of switch over uh was i started i, I heard of this thing called computational linguistics at the time, which I don't even think is a term is used anymore. Um, and I was like, okay, well, you know, that sounds whatever. And I, uh, I audited a class and I was like, okay, these people are like, it's, this is not rocket science. This is sort of like just counting words essentially. And so I was like, I can count words. And I was like, I have a watch today, I'm all the fun. Um, and so, yeah, I got into computational linguistics and that was basically became NLP. I started um, natural language processing. So I started programming kind of in that, to that use case basically, um, which at the time was just like, you know, Python. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I got in, into computing at all. Um, and then I got into that and I was like, okay, well, this is actually not, you know, uh, programming is easy. You know, the, the, the actual programming that most people do is very simple. Uh, and so I was like, okay, well, this is also, you know, much more remunerative than being in graduate school. So that's kind of how I got into computing at all. And I ended up, you know, dropping out of graduate school to do that full time. It's, it's kind of strange because uh, I think that um, you you studied jazz, right? And then yeah. Yeah. 
and then your PhD was in futurism or uh, like the, yes. the study of, of, of the futurist movement in literature, which yeah. to me yeah. makes, makes you sound like someone who is, uh, you're into improvisation and, uh, you know, celerity, right. And then, <laughs> and yeah. then, then you go join a, go join a company that is about slow computing. So it's kind of like a, a very <laughs> <laughs> strange, strange, uh, thing, yeah. like a, like a break in your psyche or something like that. Well, I mean, it's interesting because it's sort of like, well, certainly speed, you know, just uh, the, the speed about futurism in particular, right? The sort of like um, the ethics of speed or the aesthetics of speed uh, are very important, right? Um, tempo, let's say. Tempo can be fast or slow, of course. Um, but I think what the thing that I really took from the study of the futurists, uh, which I thought was and so, the, like the the actual path is, I studied futurism. Uh, I was studying its sort of repercussions in 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 other countries. So, futurism really kind of like invented the avant garde in a lot of, in, in the art in terms of art, and so it spread across the world is very interesting. But then, in the context, in the, in the sort of like process of doing that, I actually just studied futurism a lot, clearly, and. What's interesting about the futurists were that they were the first people to really, yeah, aestheticize technology as such, right? So speed being an important part, but just technology, right? And um, and the, they really foresaw that technology, and for them it was like the car, right? <laughs> it was, it was, that's what they were talking about. They were like the car and like the plane. Yeah, you have that that um, famous it, it, that famous poem from uh, Marinetti, I think, about the yeah. uh, racing the to a racing car. So he's actually doing like an ode, yeah, exactly. ode to a race car. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Whereas before that, it was kind of like you know there was a lot of romanticism that was about kind of like pining for the pre. In, I mean, sort of like that that industrial age kind of led to this pastoral view of the pre-industrial age, of course. Well, Dostoevsky, um, I mean, he talked about the uh, locomotive as wormwood, the um, sort of killing asteroid yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, and, and so it's interesting. What's interesting, though, is that like, I mean, and now it's, of course, we live in this sort of the, the we live in this world where it's clear to us that technology has made new types of people, basically. Um, but that but was it, not funny. apparent. You know, at the like, time, and so it's interesting that they, they kind of foresaw that, and uh, yeah, so I thought that was that was really interesting. But yeah. it's funny, like I, I almost want to stop you, like you know, because we talk about technology now and like tech companies, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not, I mean, automobiles are crazily engineered and everything, um, yes. Yes. and you know, one in a million failures, airplanes, everything semiconductors have really interesting things that go into them. Um, but like you said, at the end of the day, Uber is just a taxi company yeah. that some, you know, guys out of a boot camp in JS put together. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And yeah. so it is, is that really technology? I mean, when we, so now when we're talking about technology, it seems so banal, like, is it even in the same category? Well, that's an interesting. Okay, so this is a different. This is a different thing, right? But so technology, of course, you know, I've, 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 in graduate school, I smoked a lot of pot and you know, stare out a window and thought about what what is technology? What is it? You know, why is the pencil not technology? Right, shit like that. Um, but it is it is interesting because, like a lot of things in our time, you see the sort of like evacuation of words. Right, they don't mean anything. They mean something totally different. And technology is a great example. Like tech, it's actually kind of funny because tech, tech, I mean, I mean tech, it's like, it, it's it's not technology. It's not techne. It's not like what fucking, you know, Aristotle meant when he said techne. It's, it's not, right? It's it's basically we this sort of, <laughs> it's, it's, okay, we'll just bleep that out. Yeah. Uh, um, but I think it's sort of like the, um, what technology means now in terms of a sector has a lot more to do with like the funding model, right. And the business model mm -hmm. of, you know, the Silicon Valley venture capital 
thing. So it's like, you know, you, you, you venture capital fund a panties company. It's like now it's a tech company. And it's right, like yeah, the actual we, we have people borrow money to pay like for pillows on installment. And yes, exactly. that's a technology company. Yeah. So it has more to do with like sort of like the, the capital structure than the actual product itself. And uh, which is like, you know, of course, a, a misnomer. But I it, but I do still think that like if you talk about the, the, the iPhone or something, it's like, you know, you could walk around the street and see people, you know, the iPhone has single-handedly turned humanity into this sort of shuffling, you know, uh, just thing from that scene in Wally. You know, it's like it has well, created no, I, this I, person. I think know? that tech tech has undoubtedly changed our culture and everything. I just don't like giving it too much credit. Well, for being something interesting. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be interesting. I mean, I'm not saying this is a positive thing. I mean, it definitely has. Uh, yeah, it's certainly not what Marinetti foresaw, right? I mean, that's actually what's interesting is that like. And, and so what's also interesting about Marinetti is Marinetti was like, he was not a, um, I think in this regard, he was not like a dialectical materialist, right? Uh, which most people are uh, when they're talking about this stuff a lot of times. It's like, it, he didn't think that technology would create through its own internal logic, the kind of person that he foresaw, you know, it, it, quite the opposite. That's kind of what's really interesting about him is that he foresaw that it would take a certain kind of person to make a certain kind of technology. And that was kind of what he was interested in. Um, and that's, I think, what really resonated with me and kind of like brings us to why I work on what I work on is like, I just, I know that technology is art. It's not science. It's not like a natural, you know, it's just going to happen, you know, uh, and it's just going to unfold according to the logic of science or whatever. It's like, it just takes certain people, you know, who have an aesthetic and have values and all this stuff. And it's like, a, it's, a, it's the work. It, it's a way for people to create systems that will have wide ranging effects. And, the, the kind of person, the aesthetic of the person, the values of the people that create that are extremely important, right? I, I think it's sort of like the values of the people that create Uber are very important, right? And it, it's, Marinetti foresaw all that, which I think is interesting. And I think that like a lot of times we know that, right? But like a lot of times when people are making an argument for, usually for, um, you know, Oh, the taxi union just must be destroyed because this is the this is progress. This is this is the progression of science and technology. Well, that's not true, right? That's not it's not inevitable at all, um, and uh, it's very contingent. And so, yeah, Marinetti foresaw that, and uh, he's you know great in those regards. So, what's the what is the design ethic then? I I I think I I mean for us we we're kind of immersed in it and. And uh, the the podcast is sort of the point of it is to bridge this for people who have never potentially never heard. Obviously, we we end up talking a lot about stuff that that people who aren't in it won't understand. But also, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. I want to I want to bridge this for for people. So what what do you um, what do you think is sort of the design? Maybe I, I'll use the word aesthetic, but we're talking about like the you know uh, our our ethical choices as far as design. Uh, of urban? Yeah. Okay, let me break this down. It's like it, the thing we say internally is like uh, durable, simple, yours, right? Which is to say, it's like, and and I, I usually sum that up by saying it's like your computer and your computing environment should be as much like a thing as it can be. Which is a really sorry, that sounds dumb, but it's sort of like. It, it's when we, when you deal with a axe or you deal with a tool that you purchase, right? Um, let, let's use like a, an axe or or, or, a, or a piece of woodworking uh, equipment, like a, a saw, a handsaw. It's like you get it, you know what it is, you can, you learn to use it, and you. And thus it becomes sort of a, it extends the possibilities of what you can do and how you can affect your environment, right? Um, 
you're not worried about it going away. You don't rent your axe, you rent your saw, right? And your saw is not gonna like upgrade to version three while you're sleeping, obviating everything you've learned to do with that saw. And until you really start to think about like the differences between how we relate to a physical tool and how you relate to a virtual tool wherein you can never master it, right? Cause it's always fucking changing. Uh, just I mean, to use, I mean, if you ever taught an old person how to use Uber, it's just like, to use that example, it's like, they're always changing the interface that, you know, it's like, if, and if you're an old person, it's like a button moves and you're like, what the fuck is that? You know, they don't know. They don't, how could they understand? Why would they think that that's a possibility? Um, and so when we say durable, simple yours, it's like the idea is that your computer should be, should, should be yours and you should be able to use it with confidence. You should be able to invest time and, and energy into understanding it and, and using it with confidence and knowing that it's not going to change or that you want it to. Um, and so I think about that as being sort of the overarching thing. And of course, if, if your computer is yours, that means you connect with other computers and you don't think that connection is subject to somebody else's whims, you know? And I think that's a lot of it. So it's when you really break it down, it's, it's that simple. It's like computers, the, we're, it's hard for people to reason about them because they're virtual, right? And a lot of our our um, sort of um, the way we've, I don't want to say evolved, but like we've learned to use tools. A lot of those sort of like assumptions just get violated by computing and by computers. Um, computers as people use them, right? Um, and I think that that's really our, our main ethos is to is to bring it back down to that level where it's like, it should be, it should be straightforward. It should be simple. And I mean, mechanical simplicity, not like, you know, Hoon is easy to read, but I think it's, um, yeah. So hopefully that durable, simple yours. So this, I, to me, that all is, is intrinsically uh, winsome and attractive as a philosophy. And you talked about the hate from the hacker news type community and everything. Have, have you noticed hearts melting at all? <laughs> Among the, the hearts that, you know, the people that are ready, you know, the people for whom the prime is already pumped. Yes. But I mean, the thing is about programmers. Okay. Now I'm just going to shit on everybody. No, it's like the, the thing is about the hacker news t- or like, what? okay, let's just, if you're Neither like, of us are programmers. So okay. All right. I'm going to talk shit. And, yeah, and yeah. certainly you'll have none that listen to this. Uh, I can just talk a little shit. Over. Let me say, if, you, if you're like, if you're like a, a, a JavaScript person, you know, and you're just like, that's what you do. You just install NPM packages all day, every day. And your job is basically to like, just know about the latest iteration of this crap and be able to like unbreak things that are breaking by everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, then it's in your best interest. The status quo is good because you're essentially a service provider. Does that make sense? Like you, you want yeah, things yeah. to be constantly changing and breaking because you want to have a job fixing them. And like, I had just in the opposite. I'm like, I would love to just finish Urbit. You know what I mean? Like just finish it and then just go to the beach. Like I don't want to be doing and maintaining. Version zero. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I think there just is, and whether anyone acknowledges this or not, I think there's just basically like a, a difference in like worldview where some people just, they, they, they want to continue providing programming services. So they need things to be constantly changing. Right. And I don't think that the Urbit mindset is like that. It's like, I, I don't, yeah, we, we want to yeah, finish. I mean, are they, it, it, things are changing. Are they ever getting better? Right. Yeah, I mean, well, exactly. Not, exactly. Yeah, well, the yeah. answer is no. Right. I mean, but I, I think it's like, uh, I mean, it's interesting. One of the things that's pointed out quite a bit is like, you've heard of um, uh, Moore's law for this, of course. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and computers get faster. They say, you know, the actual hardware gets faster. But the actual load time of any in particular, any program in particular just keeps getting worse, right? It's like, it's, you don't feel like the internet is somehow faster than it was five years ago. Quite the opposite, actually. And, it, and the reason is that people just write shittier and shittier software. And so it's like all of those gains are just eaten up by lazier and lazier programmers and just sort of this, you know, this kind of like bloat. Yeah, and this so, is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's... Oh, go ahead. I, I mean, because the you are, no, 
Okay. No, it's. I think it's one of those things where it's like if you, if you, and I, I think it goes deeper, right? It's like if you, it goes kind of what I was saying about about values, and kind of like self image of what a programmer thinks he or she does, you know, and who they are. And I think about that, like, it's just, it's just different from someone who's like, I want to build a bridge and I want to fix a fi finish that bridge and then move on to the next bridge. That's different than someone who's like, I want to just maintain this kind of rickety garbage forever. Um, right. So. Well, I think also if as an outsider, um, it, an outsider, but kind of like in and around Silicon Valley and everything. And like the um, the perverse incentives of like, well, if I'm like just guy number seven at the next Uber or Facebook or Google, and then I'm going to get this crazy $300 million payday down the right, like that also just attracts and creates a weird culture. In oh, uh, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. How have you guys, uh, how's it been then? Um, well, you split up the, the, the team um, after COVID, right? That is to say that yeah. everybody's, everybody's working remotely now, I think. Yeah, we all work in our own private bunkers with three masks minimum. That's the, that's the case. At all times, right? Like, At all times, exactly. Right, right now, alone. actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, but that's like, I think, um, so we... It, it's interesting because we have always had a lot of remote people um, all over the world, basically. And so in a lot of ways, this was just kind of like the natural progression. So it was very easy for us to sort of, and, and of course it makes sense, right? It's like a project like ours, it, it is decentralized. It's also been great because it's made us really lean on the, on the, the product, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and just really, you know, truly dog food it. But yeah, yeah, we did. We, we were all, all over the place. I'm in the Midwest now. People are, you know, we got guys in Dubai, you know, Australia, the whole. The so whole this, line. and this is, this is permanent then. Yeah. I noticed on the dev list that we're, we're talking quite futuristically, I think, uh, now about, uh, making, uh, hardening, hardening the PKI, PKI, I, th I think against, uh, mm -hmm. like quantum, the, what what's the what's the, the term for it like the, the quantum apocalypse or something like that yeah, yeah i don't know what the term the actual term is you know the, the post-quantum uh uh security stuff do, do you want to know kind of what we're what yeah we're yeah, yeah. i'm interested i want to i want to talk yeah. pretty far out stuff yeah i mean that so we do luckily have uh, a guy at Tlon who studied um quantum computing in his phd program so he does, you know, he keeps basically tabs on all this stuff. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting because we're certainly not, um, we have no, like, we have no sort of, I mean, Urban is not, is not like, uh, it's not, we don't have any specific thing that we'd be better at with regards to that. Because, you know, it's like, it's not like we have some quantum time crystal or whatever the fuck they're called, uh, you know, sitting around. But I do think that the, um, what, what's interesting uh, for us is the, the nature of the AIMS protocol. So this is, you know, let me just give you a little bit of a primer here if you don't know. So it's interesting about the AIMS protocol, which is our networking protocol, is that um, it's, it, it's uniquely uh, resilient in the face of what are called downgrade attacks. So we, and this is a little bit different than the quantum thing, but it's sort of like, we are able to upgrade the protocol over the air, which means that basically we are able to, okay, something happens, there's a, there's a security problem, or we have an upgrade in terms of what we can support, like for the quantum stuff. Um, we can actually send that update to every ship and basically tell it not to, not to once the upgrade is done, tell it not to um, communicate with ships that have not upgraded that protocol. So this is actually something that you, you, you most people don't think about, but a lot of the exploits that, that happen um, networking-wise, a lot, I don't know, some that happen, are due to basically having to always support these older protocols. 
right? So like HTTP2 exists, but everyone has to speak HTTP1. And so basically you just end up accruing networking vulnerabilities, right? Because they can never go away because you can never not support them because the way that a normal net, the normal internet works is like, you don't have any idea who's behind an IP, what kind of shit they're, they're running, right? So what we're probably gonna do is um, keep an eye on this, right? And um, I do believe there is some, uh, there's some, the way this shit works is I'm pretty sure NIST or, or one of these organizations basically comes to a decision about what the, what the standard should be. And once we have that standard or, or we've just, you know, figured out like what our approach is going to be, we can essentially make the network resilient to that uh, all at once. And this is one of the big benefits of having an, a PKI like ours or a, sorry, a, a namespace like ours is because we, we it, it, the, the amount of nodes on our network is a known quantity that there can only be 4 billion, whatever. Right. So we don't have to worry about about having these sort of like um, vulnerabilities hanging around forever. So I don't really have any answers in terms of what we're going to do there, but I think we are kind of like uniquely suited uh, to dealing with that. And then I think the, um, the uh, you know, the, the regular internet will not be, uh, there's no way they can do that. So, you know, buy Urbit. <laughs> buy Urbit. <laughs> oh, we, we, we end most of our, uh, our episodes that way now, actually. <laughs> That's the way I do it. Yeah, exactly. The um, so so your time is spent quarterbacking these sorts of initiatives, or kind of walk me through. Walk me through. What do you do? What do you do here? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for the most part, I mean, I think that like the there's been a lot. This is this is changing in that we're trying really actively to make this an ecosystem. You know and make it so that more of the infrastructural decisions, people who work on the Urbit platform as such, it's a bigger group of people than just Tlon, right? So that's how we'd like to be. And um, Tlon basically does really two things now. We develop the platform, and then we also develop landscape, you know, and, you know, the hosting product and, and stuff like that, and bridge and things that are like, tools for urbit but they're not really urbit right i mean you could just you could run your urbit and never use landscape never use any of this shit and so basically what i do now is i coordinate the product side and the engineering side and just make sure everything is all you know in sync there and then increasingly what i'm doing is trying to sort of um help that infrastructure those infrastructure decisions be more suited to being like an actual platform and then making sure that, that the product stuff that we work on is not the sole driver, you know, is, is a big driver, but not a sole driver. You don't just want it to be a thing that runs landscape. Right. So I end up basically coordinating all that stuff. So how much of this is, I mean, like what's, what's the sort of timeline if, I mean, you can ballpark it or, or completely ignore this question, but what's the sort of timeline for like legally separating Ur- the Urbit Foundation from Talon or, you know, like what has to be done first before, before that's going to happen? Well, so hmm, that's an interesting question. The actual timeline, I'd say soon, but not, you know, imminent. The, but we've... So we've, we've actually, when we were originally raising money and for all of our investors, the assumption was that that was going to happen, right? And so part of the way that we assure that that would happen is that we actually have two organizations. There is an urban.org organization and there is a Tlon organization. And um, both of those have, um, asset, have galaxies basically to fund themselves. And so the urbit.org foundation is um we have an interim director uh Woolref podlex and uh he's started bringing people on and actively managing uh the grants program bounty program stuff like that and so he has a few people that work with him directly on that stuff long term what we'd like to do is for probably more of what is now called infrastructure in Tlon 
which is really just working on the kernel and stuff like that to go over to the urban foundation and yeah so so basically they have assets we've really been what's been what's really been holding it up so to speak is a certain level of secure of, of maturity which i i feel like we're really getting close to and then also just making sure that we had like you know uh, people that we trusted doing that because i'm sure i'm not sure if you, how much you guys know about this kind of the uh the oh, sure. fuckery no, of, of all these things yeah 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 and so really we just wanted to make sure that it was like we had an organization like organizational way of doing this that wasn't going to just leave us kind of you know infighting uh, uh to the detriment of the whole project so that's in progress basically so what's the final vision for like you know who who does what is Talon is Talon in the end, is it a, a hosting company? And then Urbit is, well, I mean, Urbit is, is the org, the, the foundation, the, the, the thing we're all a part of. Well, I think that the, the goal is something like, so, so landscape right now is, 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 and will be a, a Talon project. And so at the very minimum, we'll be doing hosting, and landscape development because we feel pretty strongly that there should be some sort of like essentially you know flagship client that a normie can use that's not like you know too difficult to deal with so you know there should be an ubuntu you know there should be some desktop and then the the, the goal i think it, it the goal would be that Tlon is one of hopefully several companies that basically build, you know, user-facing affordances on top of Urbit. Uh, and Urbit is more concerned about, you know, the, the fundamentals of the system. Um, governance, the I kernel, think. Things like that. And, and, and governance, of course, yeah. Governance of the network as well. Yeah, we haven't we haven't ever actually gotten into governance on this podcast, but um, the, I think that the governance structure is, 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 is it still envisioned the same way that it was, say, three or four years ago, which is, is that it's, you know, kind of like a Republic with, I, I, you know, the, the galaxies are voting. And I know, I'm sure that this, this happens sort of without us knowing it, because I, I think that we end up seeing stuff that gets put on chain after the vote happens. But, uh, is that sort of like structure going to, I, I mean, is it the same structure as it was say three or four years ago? If I looked at the yeah, constitution and it, and or whatever. It exists. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's active. So the galaxy Senate, the Senate is the is the set of galaxy owners, right? Yeah. Um, that that does vote. Um, we have another vote coming up probably pretty soon. Um, a lot of it thus far has been um, basically ratifying our milestones. So basically, just saying, you know, we've we had a security audit performed and stuff like that. But um, in the next few, probably month or so. Um, we're going to actually vote on an upgrade to the contracts that j n nothing exciting, basically just a few affordances and like some minor bugs that were found and stuff like that. But it's actually really cool how it works, right? So all those votes are done cryptographically. So the, the galaxies signing keys vote. Um, and if we upgrade the contracts, essentially we put a contract up, a Solidity contract up, vote on it, if it is ratified, then essentially it goes into, it, it automatically goes into, essentially some addresses are switched and that becomes the new constitution or, or not constitution, but the, the, the new contract. So that's all going. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually really cool. I mean, it's a, it's very, it's very futuristic. You know, it's like, like when you, uh, you know, cause I mean, that, that's something that we have to do also is like, you know, we have a galaxy vote coming up. So we got to make sure that everyone, everyone has the need to vote and we talk about it a little bit and, uh, we've incre in, uh, increasingly moved a lot of that stuff onto Urbit itself. So all the galaxies coordinate via Urbit, discuss the things, uh, and then vote. Is, there, is, is participation about 100% or are there people who like got a master key and crumpled it in the trash? And um, For gone? galaxies, I mean, galaxies is a pretty big investment. So we, we, we pretty much have, we have pretty good uh, response rate for galaxy holders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that the and but of course a lot there's a whole bunch of galaxies that aren't deeded yet, you know. So 
There's supposed to be, I think, at some point. Um, so galaxies have their, I mean, the, well, let's call it the Senate then. The Senate has its uh, sort of purview, right? And then there's also, I, I believe, I'm, I'm kind of doing this from memory. Uh, there's also star owners have, star owners are, are like the representatives, I think. And they have a completely different sort of uh, set of responsibilities. Is that right? Yeah. So the, the star owners um, don't have, there's no voting body uh, for star owners just yet. And I think we've talked about that. It's kind of like more of a, an idea. I think it'd be really cool to have something like that uh, formalized. But for the most part, the star owners actually have a lot of de facto power. Uh, especially over the 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 star or the the planets that are under them, um, you know. So your star owner is the person who can essentially you you get your updates by default from the star owner. So you know th- they they end up having a lot of de facto power, and so that's most of their their power comes from that. I think there's been discussions. I know. Um, I think what I'd like to see is to have different galaxies governed internally differently, right? So I, I can imagine a galaxy who, you know, a galaxy allows their stars to vote or something like that. And then that becomes the galaxy vote. And that's been discussed as well. Oh, that's great. Um, so if there, you know, there's this concept of exit, which is to say that, it, you know, if I, if I don't like the way that my, my galaxy is running things, Potentially, I can take my I can take my star, pack up my star, and go yeah. to a different galaxy where things are run differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the same, same with you planets. do see that a little bit. Yeah, you do see that a little bit. We see it a lot with um with planets because yeah. not a lot, but you, you see it with planets because a Where lot of times dead with deadbeats. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, yeah. I mean, in so many words, I mean, what happens is people buy planets off of OpenSea or something where it's like. You know, basically, the star does not have to be up and routing packets. So you'll have people that come in and they're like, hey, you know, I can't send any packets. And you go, well, it's because your star is down. Like, well, shit, I don't know what to do because I got this over OpenSea. And so they can um, switch to a different galaxy, which happened, sorry, planet, sorry, star. And so that, that happens relatively frequently. It's really pretty seamless. I mean, it sucks now because Ethereum is like it. Yeah, transaction fees are kind of high, but yeah, I've done done this myself, and it's very easy for somebody who can use. I mean, if you can get a planet, you can move it to another star. If you're savvy enough to buy a planet yourself, you can do it. Though, yeah, as you say, though, I mean, you have to, you do actually have to to sacrifice your first child in Ethereum fees, which we are working on. And I actually would like to. I mean, that's everybody's listening, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Actually, everybody's listening and pissed. Yeah, people are always like, I get, you know, know, I I get a lot of emails. I want to ask about that because I, uh, I can tell, you know, I can, I I dig around in the GitHub uh, well, and my friends do as well. But um, so uh, I I saw, I think that Philip Monk um, posted on GitHub that, that he has started doing something with Cairo. uh, And then I I think he's going to come up with like two, two other things as well, two other, uh, you know, possible alternatives and then, yeah. you know, maybe they get voted on or something like that. They run them through their, they take them through their paces and then, and then decide on which one they're going to go with. So does it look yeah, like precise. what's going to happen is like uh, some sort of like, like optimistic roll up or something like that? So, yeah, we're looking at a few uh, quote unquote layer two things. And so just, okay. So just for people who don't really understand what the issue is here, right. It's like, basically um, we have no control clearly of over the the transaction fees uh, for Ethereum, and we uh, and so but we're you know uh, we are receiving a lot of uh, you know it, it sucks actually to be a person that to be a project that actually uses Ethereum. <laughs> it's that's not like a shit coin. It's like we actually have to have this thing work to for. I I say this to people a lot of times. Like we are we are actually you know. We well, are so users that, of Ethereum. Where does that fit in? Like when you talk about um, durable, yours, and usable, I, I can't remember what the third yeah. one was. Durable, but, simple, yours. Yeah. Yeah. So where does Ethereum fit in that? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> this is fucking hardball over here. Um, 
So uh, the Ethereum thing, though, is is like that. That was essentially a pragmat a pragmatic um, move, right? Because the problem was, I mean, the, the the in the ideal case, and what I very much hope happens, uh, and I think you know I, I want to make happen, is that the PKI is entirely hosted within Urbit, and we don't need any of this shit, right? The problem, of course, is bootstrapping that, right? Like, how do you get the, how do you get Urbit hardened and mature enough that it can actually host its own PKI? And so we basically were like, okay, well, we can host it, self-host it ourselves, but that's very risky to do. And this is like, we're talking about a pretty decent amount of money, right? Um, for for the assets, and so we decided just to do it over Ethereum with the reason that basically what's nice about blockchain is it's actually very easy just to export the entire state. Like what, when we pull the switch or whatever, pull the lever, um, throw the switch, I suppose, and go to a self-hosted BKI, we will be able to just look at the block state, right? Bring that all internally and, and be there. But certainly Ethereum for whatever its other problems is certainly more durable than, you know, a lot of things. Ethereum is, is, uh, there's enough money in the shitcoin market that you know Ethereum has, it, at least to me, been put through its paces security-wise, and so that was kind of a concession. But I think the, the ideal the ideal future is that that's all done within Urbit, right? But to get there, we definitely need to do something about essentially doing some kind of roll-up or, or something of that nature. Which you know, the way I think about it is like. Essentially, uh, if you think about Ethereum as just the world's, you know, worst database, <laughs> whatever, it's like every time you write to that database, it, there's a transaction cost. And so we can basically batch our rights, for lack of a better term. And this is actually pretty uh, realistic for us in that we actually don't write that much. Like you're, the rights are essentially transferring, a, you know, taking possession of a ship. Uh, an urban ID, uh, transferring it, stuff like things that happen relatively infrequently. So it would actually be very, it actually suits the roll-up case quite well. So I think in the short term, we're trying to basically have a thing, which will be some kind of layer two or, or, or very inspired by these layer two solutions uh, that will allow us to basically bring those transaction costs way, way down. Maybe with the, by bringing some of that state into Urbit, but yeah, we're working on that. I mean, clearly it's a very big problem and it's it's basically a scaling constraint for us right now. I guess um, so I guess you can tell we're working on that. I mean, I think people should know that I think you guys have dedicated like one full-time engineer to the problem right now basically, is that right? Oh. It, I mean, well, uh, more than that. Well, yeah, but I mean at least one full-time <laughs> engineer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that like this is a big this is a big thing for us, right? It's a big topic. Uh, that we're thinking about very, very deeply. I think it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a priority. So can, can you, okay, tell us uh, definitively what date. <laughs> <laughs> the people want to know when to buy a planet. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I, uh, I, well, as you can imagine, I'm not going to commit. To, right, 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 right. <laughs> can, can I give you like just a moment, sort of like elevator pitch for, for getting people onto Urbit, despite the fact that that um, you know Ethereum sucks. Um, yeah, assuming Ethereum doesn't suck, or assuming, I mean, the, the other thing that people should realize is that um, if you're okay with transactions taking a long time, you can do this at a relatively low gas price. All these transactions. So that's also possible. Yeah, I think I've got it done for like 60, 60 bucks. I mean, everything all told because, you know, I'm on, on Asia time, so I can sort of time it for the morning in the Asia market. And if you can do that, you yeah. should be able to get a planet under 60 bucks. That's what I'm, I'm sort of claiming that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's so, so assuming you're down with that, which I think, you know, if you think about it in terms of 60 bucks and like you own it forever computer for the rest of your life right. exactly i'm like this is right. not that it's like people's it's like frame of reference. It's, like, it's like people are their frame of reference is totally skewed because they think they're getting other shit for free which they are not but for me it's like 
I think about this. It's funny having to pitch it, right? Because I think the world pitches it for us. It's like the world is. I mean, the 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 the, the media environment is clearly uh, not great, and I think it's one of those things where it's just the the options I feel for someone who who understands what's at stake here is to just like not use a computer <laughs> or use urban. You know, that's the way I think about it. I think that it's what we're making is not just a computer. It, we're making is a, a whole new world. And that takes a long time and that's very difficult. And I think though, that's the nature, it's kind of the scale of what the solution has to be because we can't overstate the effect social media, however you want to describe, I just call it the media, right? It's, it is the media for now. The the scale to which that has created the world that we now inhabit. And those of us that are unhappy with that, the only solution really is to create a whole new world. And that's why I think it's like whenever I hear about something else that is sort of like some small carve out replacing some small function, I think they don't understand the scope of the problem. And I I have yet to hear of a credible alternative to Urbit. And I think it's one of those things where you guys are on the network and those of you who are not on the network right now, get on the network and you will see that you're dealing with basically sanity. You know, you're dealing with something where people can have discussions, people can congregate, people can meet, they can discuss about discuss things in an environment that is just, I mean, it, it, it is sane. And I think that that's, um, that's something that it's, it's, a, it's kind of an amazing point in time that it takes this monumental, you know, uh, Manhattan project, <laughs> reinventing computing type thing to achieve that. But, uh, I think it's the only, it's the only real credible solution. Thank you for listening. Please visit us at www.thestack.link or find us on Twitter at thestack.link, all one word. And please remember to like and subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'm Josh, and with Andy, we are The Stack.